Hello, welcome to the David Watson podcast. One of the great things about doing this, I get to talk to some fascinating people who have amazing backstories and have achieved so many things in their life. And today's guest was no different. And one of the things I even mentioned to him was that he just has this phenomenal outlook on life. And yet, so many things have happened to him with twists and turns. He has every reason to be bitter. And I spoke to Jeffrey. Jeffrey Michel, he's an author. He's built his own companies, does real estate, finance. His books include One Call Away, Secrets of a Master Networker, The Opportunity Magnet, and his latest book, Trust is a double-edged sword, trust me. And please, look him up. Look up the titles to those books. Phenomenally interesting guy. And as always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hello, and welcome to the David Watson podcast. Thank you for coming on. It's nice to see you. Thank you. Interestingly, uh, when I do these, you probably, in terms of, as I was saying to you, I got a, a lovely bio sent through with lots of details. And, and just, and it's amazing how many things you've actually done. And obviously, I'm here to talk to you about your book, but there's so much that's gone on in your life. And, you know, before we kind of like, you know, the the, the double-edged sword and, and the book. So it's, it's actually, where do we start? Beginning. <laughs> so so yeah so so what is the beginning for you well it depends on which subject we're speaking of um you know as you say i do a lot of things and uh um uh, my whole passion is making a difference i actually wrote this book to make a difference um and everything i do you know that's the underlying theme uh they call me the master networker i've written two books on networking and i, I collect people and uh when I say that, I mean in the sense that I, I want to know who people are. I database information. I, I'm interested from the perspective, not just what potentially happens with me, but I'm thinking about who I can introduce them to. And I live my life doing that. I have 15,000 people in my personal database, and I do all sorts of things. And you know, the thing is, I'm a very trusting person because um, as a connector, someone that, that wants to put people together, you have to be very trusting because if I introduce you to someone else, something goes wrong, my fault. But you know what? Over the, all the years... Very rarely did I make a missed call in that regard, and it's always worked out great. But I am too trusting, and hence the most recent book, which is Trust is a Double-Edged Sword. Trust me, I wrote because I trusted uh, my crooked partner, who I knew for a long time, implicitly, and it was a terrible mistake. It, it, you can't even make up the stories. In fact, people that know me and know him said, this should be the next Netflix series. That's how extreme it was. His wife went off a terrace last year. Mother of three generally don't jump off terraces. So crazy stuff yeah yeah definitely because it, it is interesting because one of the things um and it was it's, it's personal to me but I, I know other people will, will have experienced the same is how do you or do you have a way to recover because I, i've been in circumstances where i i've people the closest people to me and you find out oh th this is a sham you know, in, in both business, personal life yeah, and relationships. And 
they're the things that when it ha has happened to me that is the hardest to pick myself up from because there's this kind of how could i be have been that stupid well look i have an expression that i use and uh, it really hits it on the head good judgment comes from experience experience comes from bad judgment and you know we, we got to learn and yeah. uh you know hopefully we mitigate making future mistakes by the ones we've made in the past and uh there's so many variables that you have to be much more sensitive to and be aware of and that's what this book's about it's about being aware um because you know we're all gonna there's not one person i've spoken to or has read the book that's come back to me that hasn't had trust violation either personally or in business not one there's not one exception and unfortunately it's something that we all confront with and deal with and you know, the question is, can we get better about spotting it? Can we get better about handling it? And can we learn from it not to repeat the same mistakes? Trusting is difficult, isn't it? Because I, I find with people in general, m most people want a reason to be able to like you. So generally, especially if you walk into a room with strangers or something like that, you, you're, you're going to scan the room and you're hoping to see somebody that's going to give you a smile so that you can make that connection and you can then start kind of, you know, you're the master networker. So that that's kind of much more your area, but there are these signals that we look for. And how, how do you separate that so that you can feel confident in what you're doing? Well, you know how it is sometimes when you meet someone, you like them right away yeah. and just have an instant chemistry, so to speak. And then sometimes, sometimes you'll meet someone and they're, they're just different or they just, you don't feel that connection or they're more interested about themselves than, you know, even talking or being interested in you. It starts with having a good gut feeling, you know, having a sense, you know, is my time is very valuable. And, you know, when I expend it, I want to do so in a meaningful way. And uh, so your, your, your visceral sense, your, your intuition for that type of situation generally is a very good guide. What, but what would you suggest people, you know, because trust in yourself is is difficult and ha having read, you know, some of the things you've gone through and you're still out there promoting, trust yourself, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> it, it's, but it's how, how do you, you know, how do you keep it going? Because I'm not going to change. I, I am a trusting person. I choose to be a trusting person. I like being a trusting person. Um, and I enjoy, as I say, collecting people, meeting people, talking to people, uh, share a quick little funny story in that regard. I was at an event down in South Beach, Florida, uh, the other night and I was with my wife and five single girls. It was like six of us. So we go to this restaurant and, uh, we sit at the bar and my wife and I, and the girls are all standing there and they're all drinking cocktails and they're all single. So I'm looking around the bar and I see two guys sitting on the right by themselves, I walk over and I look at them. I say, can I see your hands? And they look at me like, it's kind of a weird request. They show me their hands. Neither of them was wearing a ring. I say, are you guys single? I've got all these single girls over here. No, we're married. And I just got into conversations with them. They were very nice. They laughed. And one of them you know, texted me. I, I know he's now in my database. I mean, actually, I get together with him. And I did it again with someone else sitting on the other side of the bar, the exact same thing. And he, he, he also wasn't wearing a ring. And they said, no, no, I'm married too. And he said, I'm married. And I started talking to him. It turns out I met him 
like eight years ago through a very good friend of mine. He, re he, he remembered my name. I saw he's in my database. I'm having lunch with him next week. If you don't open your mouth, if you're not creative, you don't get, you know, be nice and engage with people, nothing happens. It all starts by, you know, making an effort. Yeah. No, that's good. Yes, that's interesting. On something I, I read on the, on the, on the buyer that came through was the Ronald Reagan quote, trust, verify. Could you give me so that's a, that's a, you know, Ronald Reagan said that in regard to the Russians way back when, but succinct to the point, but a hundred percent accurate. And, you know, if I can relate to myself, my crooked ex-partner, I had to shut my company down in 2019 Aside from discovering tremendous amount of theft, forgery, fake names, fake things, horrible stuff, um, over the years, and I, it was with me for a lot, a lot of years, you know, I just trusted what he told me. I trusted, you know, things he would say that were very short in nature and bothered me, and I kicked the can, and I was irresponsible. I mean, outright irresponsible. And I, my gut feeling told me something was wrong, and I just didn't push it. I should have verified. I should have looked. I should have gone and looked at financials. I should have looked at bank statements. I should have, when I had a funny feeling, I should have not just like, you know, kick the can, you know, seek avoidance. My obligation to myself and my investor partners is that I should have verified. And I didn't until the very end. And when I verified, I discovered all these heinous things. My fault, your fault. You, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to verify everything. You, know, you just, I'm not suggesting to become paranoid. But I'm saying you just, you know, checks and balances. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, to avoid becoming paranoid, you, you have to build trust, don't you? And, and I suppose, like you're saying, like checking the finances, that that's not being paranoid. That That's the steps you take to build the layers. So you're like, actually, I can trust this person. He's, this person's a, a, a man or a woman of their word <laughs> instead of fa face value. So where... So when you were write, write, writing this book, where where did you want it to go? When did I want? Where did I'm you sorry, want it? To, where did you want it to go when you were writing it? Did it start off as one thing and end up going somewhere else? Because you in the well, in the I'll in share, the so yeah, because I was just going to say in the description you you mentioned how cathartic it was. Um. So. When I discovered all these horrible things that my ex-partner did, and a lot of them, I had personal exposure uh, that I wasn't aware of, and, and I mean it was so extreme. If you saw me in 2019, my hands were like this; they were shaking. Uh, my blood pressure was way up. I actually had to take medication to get my blood pressure down, and I, I I started discovering all these things, and they were so extreme you couldn't even make them up. I started writing them down and, and it was the catalyst. I said, you know, I want to get the, I want this guy to go down. So I'm, I'm going to actually write a book about it. I started writing all this, these things. It, it was, it was cathartic. But then at the time I was in Manhattan, it was during COVID and I'm looking out my window at the city and I'm saying to myself, you know what? Trust in this country is at an all time low about everything. There is no trust. There's just hatred, there's separation, there's these extreme movements that create, you know, people that have different factions or fighting and, and they, you know, 
can we believe anything we're being told? The, me the media, the news, you know, one station's one way, one station that they only report with it. And all these things started to like hit me and I started doing massive research. This word, trust, I, I realized it's applicable to everything in our lives. Everything in our lives, the pillar of it is trust. And I started discovering all sorts of incredible things. And, you know, by example, when I was writing the book and after I did one, two chapters, I started sending the chapters to friends or people that I knew that I wanted them to take a look at it. Hey, I wanted to get their feedback and the reaction. But every time I did that, aside from really like, an, oh, my God, I would unbelievable. I really like they started telling me their stories. They started like becoming emotional and telling me what happened to them, some of which are in the book. Some of the things I heard were so over the top. And so that. It kept fueling me. So then I started going into all sorts of different things. So by example, chapter two of the book is, should I buy when I'm sold? And that talks about all these products out there that are marketed to us with fallacious representations. And it's not just a few. There's so many. And some of it's very serious in terms of the misrepresentation. Some of it's funny, but a lot of it isn't funny at all. And we just don't think about it enough. No, no, we don't. We don't market in. I'm not sure how much when when i think of old school marketing before the internet where there, there, there seemed to be a little bit more sophistication maybe, maybe i'm i'm lying to myself or remembering it with a romance of nostalgia but the, I, I suppose because things like the term clickbait hadn't been created yet because it, it didn't exist uh pre-internet but that kind of whole Everything now seems to have a clickbait to tr to get your attention, and then when you do click on it, you're just like, oh, I, I should have known, I, I should have known, you know, and and you kind of start kicking yourself, and and it can be for, for everything and anything now, you, you know, because the, the the internet is so wide, and that kind of feeling can seep into our relationships and 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 those boundaries that we have with people. You, you bring up a very valid point that actually is more dimensional than at the point that you're making. I have a chapter in the book called What Happened to the Humans? And that book really really addresses um, you know, change, all the things, the amazing things that have happened over time. You know, I start off by saying that I remember going into a tunnel or crossing a bridge, and I had to stop to pay a human being a toll. There's always a human being sitting in a toll booth. I yeah. remember as a kid, I said, what a, a terrible job. Can you imagine doing that every day? That doesn't exist anymore. Now technology, now you read your license plate, you don't have to deal with that. That's great stuff. And we think about all these amazing things that have come and, and how they advanced and what they've done to our lives. Our phones, look at our phones, all the utilization of our phones and the things. But what can't? What should we not trust? What are the things that all this great advancement, what are the danger things? One of the things I talk about very significantly, and we can see this is playing out very much more and more now, social media. Social media is so incredibly dangerous. One of the things in my bio is I was on the board of Signature Bank in New York for 15 years. They, the bank went down last March, but that bank was not insolvent. It was all political that took it down. But the, the, the start of it was a run caused by social media. And it wound up taking down three banks. Social media was the catalyst that caused the run. Uh, but social media is extremely dangerous. There's things called deep fakes. You know what a deep fake is? I've just seen... Is, is this the AI thing that I, I literally no. read something about this today? So if you go on your phone, and if your listeners go on their phone, 
and they go to the app store and they type in deep fake, there are several apps that you can download that enable me or you to do a deep fake. So what does that mean? So I take a picture of you and I put a moose's head on your shoulders and you're speaking and it's a moose that's speaking. Ha ha, that's very funny. But think about what this could do where you take a, you know, Putin or Biden and we're launching missiles or we're doing, you know, something really extreme and it gets blasted into social media. Or there's some sort of racial thing that happens where someone gets, you know, hung and there are people laughing at the bottom and, you know, it's a Jewish guy laughing at a black gentleman that's hanging from a tree and that gets into social media. What would happen in our country? And, you know, as you see, it, you know, it blasts all over the place. People buy this stuff and then it causes results or damages. And so that deep fakes are extremely dangerous and they're out there. The next thing we have to be really worried about that's just beginning is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, I'm predicting, I really believe, unfortunately, somewhere down the road, as this keeps advancing, advancements are incredible, it will get into the wrong hands. And someone really sinister or some country really sinister will do something with artificial intelligence that will make 9-11 look like a car accident. And unfortunately, I, my gut, I really feel that's a strong possibility. I did a podcast about this two weeks ago with a, uh, a professor called Ed from, uh, who's a professor of business at West Virginia University. And he, he, he shares similar concerns that AI is not going anywhere that's going to help us in the long run. It's going to most likely be the demise of us. God forbid. <laughs> yeah. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I am. That there's something I'm actually fascinated about with the the skill to networking, and 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 that's because I'm a terrible networker. I'm actually articulate. I can get into a room, and if I feel a kind of flow state, I'm there. I I, I can chat to most people, but actually, I can be. I'm a really bad networker for somebody that has a good skill set. How how do you navigate that as somebody who is an excellent networker? Well, there's this five-letter word called learn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it starts with who you know. You know, I, I told you I collect people. So if I collect people, they're in my database. So I have the ability to reach out to people in my database. And I'll share one quick story to show you the power of it. So I went through the god-awful divorce. I have two chapters about marriage and divorce in the book. The first chapter, I tell you the extreme, crazy things I went through. When I say it's god-awful, my ex-wife literally went through 20 different matrimonial terms. I've seen not exaggerating, which is fairly insane. So, you know, I'm sure your listeners will agree. And, you know, got, you know, unfortunately, so many people go through it. Divorce is a horrible, horrible process. When you go into it, as I did, I knew nothing. I, I didn't know what to expect. I had no clue as to what would transpire in the severity. All I knew as I was going down the road, I felt like I was standing in a giant vat of quicksand and I kept sinking, and I had these two talking heads, that being natural motor attorneys, going at each other. And the, and the register keeps going, 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 and it's just getting worse and worse. And uh, I, 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 I was getting scared. So what did I do? I called friends, and I said, do you know anyone? I'm a successful guy, another successful guy that has young kids that's going through the worst. Do you have any friends like, yeah, call Bob, call Steve, call David. So right away, I was being introduced to these people, and we had commonality. Know who you know. We had commonality, and they took my call right away. We'd either have breakfast, lunch, or, or, or cocktails, and it was like instant best friend, instant camaraderie. And 
I was learning really very important things. In fact, I learned one thing that was so important in terms of the results of my divorce that my attorney didn't tell me because my attorney was not a business person. This happened four or five times, and then the light bulb goes off in my head. And I send out the following email in my database. Divorced or divorcing dads with young children lunching. If you're going through what I'm going through, where you have no idea what's going to happen next, you feel like you're living in a fog, you, you're, you're burning dollars in the matrimonial process, and you're gravely concerned about the potential emotional scars inflicted upon our children, I'm putting together similarly situated dads to vent, strategize, and for each of us to help each other. If I'm describing you, please let me know if you'd like to come to this you know, meeting I'm putting together. If I'm describing a friend, please forward my email to your friend. My database at the time had about 8,500 people in it. I had close to 2,000 responses. 2,000 because people were forwarding it to other, uh, unbelievable. People were forwarding it to all these other people that I didn't know. And I put 75 people in the room. I spoke from the heart. It was it, it exploded. No one wanted to leave. This is the most incredible thing. Jeff, you got to keep this going. There's nothing like this. Da, 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 da. So then I created something called the Divorcing Dad Council. And I, every month, I do a different event, again, through my database. And now I bring speakers. And then when someone wanted to come, I would say, is there a particular subject matter you'd like to address? And I created a dossier of things that I would interact with, the speakers and the people who attended. And then that turned into something called Divorce Force, which was a company I was a co-founder of, which was an online community for people getting divorced. And I wound up being on ABC, being interviewed about Divorce Force. So talking about networking, talking about who you know, and talking about how you know them, you know, that's, that's, it's just work and effort, but it starts with collecting people. So I, I, let's, let, let's take that example, because that's actually a fantastic example for uh, divorcing men, because it can be incredibly, I, I mean, the states, the laws in the United States are varied, um, especially compared to the United Kingdom. Um, but even if it's just somebody young, and they're, they're listening to this, and they, they're like, how would you tell them? So like, if, if you were to lay down a plan of how you develop a network, because, you know, like yeah. that collecting people database that you have, what, what would like be, right, this is what you start doing. You see this thing? It's called yep. a business card. When you meet people, you get their information. You get their information, you put it into your database. When you put it in the database, there's a thing called the notes section. Where did you meet them? What time did you meet them? Who, how, did you, how were you introduced? What were some of the conversation points that you had? What business industry are they in? So that's searchable. You have now database content that's there. You could find people based upon their attributes just by searching the, a, a given word. But then, of course, like when I do these email blasts, which I've done many, many times, sometimes someone will respond to me that I hadn't seen in 15 years. And I went in one case, literally, I went to have breakfast with this one person. And it was over the specific thing I was, I was working on. And I look at him and I said, Steve, do I look familiar to you? And it, he said, I, yeah, where did, we, where did we meet? I said, I met you at Howard Tanney's son's bar mitzvah in 2003. You were this doing this, this, and this. And you told me about this. What you just did with your eyes, jumping up. Yeah, he was yeah. Like blown away. He was, and again, how's Howard? It would just turn into this whole conversation. Collect people, know who you know. I, I'm just, the pause is because I'm dwelling on how in depth that is. You know, and that, that, that's 
yeah I've, ne I've never heard somebody describe that that process to me that way you know and and it and it's the little detail of m make a note of where of where you meet them what you what they were doing w what you discuss because I can see in my head when you then meet them 15 yeah. years later and you have that conversation like oh, I met you here we did this you know blah, blah. There, there there's it's it's almost like you you spoke to them yesterday it's powerful and it, it creates an impact and it, it's enabling you know I created businesses like divorce force by pushing a button to reach out to my database think about that it's pretty powerful and Very powerful. that's why I write books on my first two books, are, the first book is titled One Phone Call Away, Secrets of a Master Networker. I was on the Today Show, I was speaking all over the country. My second book is called The Opportunity Magnet. And that's a book about what do you need to do to make yourself stand out. The third book is obviously about trust. Trust is a double-edged sword, trust me, uh, which is a completely different subject matter. I'm going to do another, I'm starting to think about my next book. The title is going to be Know Who You Know. So what would that, would that entail? We may as well get that plug in now well i haven't started writing it yet but i'm mapping it out but it, you know some of which is some of the things we talked about you know just take the time to know who you know you know take the time to database information about people um it's not that hard to do and uh, there's a lot of things so one of the things i think i'm going to do one of my son's friends is a, a senior guy at a company called salesforce.com which is all about in, you know, sales software that enable people to be much more successful with the people that they do business with. I'm going to do a chapter on Salesforce.com in the book. You know, so I'm starting to think about mapping this out, um, which will be indicative of, of becoming much much better about who you know. Yeah. So there's a, a, a little section here called "What Four Boils: Character Flaws Should Be Warning Signals Towards Trust and Friendship." Well. Um, you know, it starts again with intuition, gut feeling, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll see or feel something that's not right. Most of the time in this type of scenario, your intuition spot on, but there are other things, you know, I, I, there's the distinction between being a giver and a taker or a me person or someone that's interested in other people. You know, I share a story about a friend that I know over 20 years I used to spend a bunch of time with this particular person. He's very, he was successful. He sold his company, good looking guy. He lived here down in Florida and he'd never been married. Uh, and, you know, he always, different girl, different girl. And every time I got together with him, it was all about him. It was all about his issues and or bragging about something. And every woman he ever dated, he had issues with. And they were very good looking, they were beautiful, but he always complained, constantly complaining. And I would sit there just like this listening. If I brought up anything about myself, you know, or something I'm doing, dead eyes, like stoic, like really no interest. And it happened over and over. And it was, and it just got to the point where the last time that that occurred was a couple of years ago because I don't get to go with them anymore. And what I realized, it was all about him. So I describe him in the book. And I don't mention his name, but I said, this is a guy that lives in a room where all the walls are mirrors. Yeah. And I don't need to waste my time. No. There's, there's in that same paragraph that came across to me, that there's, and I want, if you're able to give some detail on this, is friends that show signs of jealousy. <sighs> uh, 
that's not really a great friend. Um, when my friends or someone I know does something and, and it's a great outcome, I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm excited for them. I'm vicariously enjoying their thrill. I'll go tell people, you got to hear what happened. It's like, how cool is that? That's a real friend. Someone that's jealous of stuff that you do, it's all about them. And they're jealous because you've achieved something that they'd like to achieve or haven't achieved. And instead of being proud of you and, and, and supporting you, they're angry at you or they're jealous of you. And that is not a real friend. It's, it, it, we, we don't need that in our lives. You know, there's only 24 hours in the day. Good portion of them we sleep. Who we are spend our time with is essential. And who you can trust and embrace, there are things that you just got to really you know, be conscious of and not waste your time. Have you ever noticed the negative effects that it can have on you when you're around these people? Um, I, I don't know if it's negative effects. It's, it's, a, it's more of a, like a wake-up call about losing interest or I should lose interest. Or I should not take any more of my time because this is not about a team. You know, by the way, the word team isn't a word to me. It's an acronym. Together, everyone achieves more. Together, everyone achieves more. That's what you want in terms of the relationships you have. That's what the people that you do things with or that are, you know, your close friends, um, you want to be part of a team. You know, I, my friends, I have a friend going through an unbelievably corrupt, bad thing in New York City where he was screwed by the city and also political stuff. Uh, you can't even make up the story. It's all over the newspapers. And I'm, he doesn't stop trying to fight it, the system. And I'm calling him all the time. And I'm like in a, checking in and, you know, I'm bringing him to speak to some of my organizations to tell the story so he gets out there. Uh, you know, he asked me if I could help him, you know, find certain, you know, resources that help him. Find. I, I went out and called a lot of people to try to find the things he asked. I don't, I don't want anything for doing it. He's my friend. And I care about him. And so if you're someone's friend and you care about them, you go out of your way and you support them. One of the reasons I ask is I, I had, I've had this obsession for a long time. Um, because I, w when I was sort of like 18, 19, and for reference, I'm 49 today, you know, now. You look, you look, you look good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And <laughs> one of the things I, I, I recall from, from my youth was this frustration that I didn't know how to navigate what was good or bad. So when I'm fortunate enough to talk with someone like yourself who has a long track record of successful businesses, um, has generated your, your own opportunities to be fair. And, and, you know, and, and there's the, the parts I've read about your childhood and I'm kind of desperate of how to bridge that gap between what I was like at 18, who was desperate to hear from somebody like yourself of how you learned these skills because where you are today navigating is is not where you started and it's it's what, what were the cues what were the the slip-ups you know it's like how did you how did you learn the skills um one is building your confidence and how do you build your confidence experience in doing things um educate you 
I used to work as a kid starting in eighth grade. You read some of the stuff about my history, you know, which is kind of, you know, I was kidnapped. My parents got divorced when I was five, <laughs> remarried each other when I was 15, got divorced when I was 25. My mother committed suicide. My father lost all of his money. So I started working like in seventh grade. And, and not that I was, you know, on the streets or anything, because I still lived in my, with my mother at the time. And I worked at an electronics store in Manhattan that had no fixed prices. It was certain type of stores that were all over the city. And you had to judge your customer. I started out as a messenger. And as time went by, um, I wound up being their best salesman. I was so good that I could actually tell when people came in what they were going to ask for before they opened their mouth. And what that did for me, working in a retail store with people, is I learned how to judge people. I learned how to speak to people. I learned how to have a better sensitivity to who was real, who wasn't. I tell all kids, you know, my friends' kids, they're you know, graduating, they're in high school, whatever, go work in a restaurant. Go work on a retail job. You work in a restaurant, you're going to have people that you're taking care of. They'll be very, very nice. And then you'll have people that are really rude and, and outrageous. How do you handle it? How do you pivot? What do you learn from it? Those experiences hone us in terms of the way we read people and then execute. I would argue that, and I went to NYU business school, I get a great education, but my best education was working in that retail store. I worked there from seventh grade all the way through college. And I made a lot of money. I, I started a business in the store. I mean, all sorts of stuff. That that was so important. So that I I always tell it for young people. That's a really great thing for them to do. On a, a different sidetrack is I was listening to you there, and there there is the you know the alcoholism with your mother, your mother committing suicide, being kidnapped at four, and. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a real positivity when you speak, and 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 the, and the, the tonality of your voice is it's very positive. And and obviously, I can see you because some of these people have listened to this on audio, and, and you have an incredibly sort of positive face. How did you not let? How was there never any bitterness that overtook you? Um, because some of the things that have happened are shit. Let, let's be honest. Not not some. I, I got a whole list. <laughs> I yeah, got but, a very accepted. Yeah, accept but it's exactly that. Ow. So I have another expression, which I kind of lived to. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my, I remember as a child dealing with an alcoholic mother who I, at one time I had a, at nine years or 10 years old, I had to drag her across the floor to put her in her bed, stuff like that. I used to watch these TV shows that were very healthy, normal shows. It was a show at the time called Family Affair. And it was this nice, nourishing, nurturing family and the way they lived together. And I used to sit there and just kind of revel as to what normalcy looked like. And I, you know, I don't, I didn't really realize what I was doing, but I guess on some level made me feel safer or more content, but it also taught me. And so I, what I realized that all these horrible things, and I've had, as I said, many, I've gotten smarter, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten sharper, you know, I got remarried a year ago to a school teacher that is a goddess. I mean, all she does is love me to death. She takes care of me. She's so proud of me. You know, she's bragging about me all the time. And I'm, I'm, I, have, I have a best friend. There's a chapter in the book about, you know, I got two chapters about divorce, marriage and divorce. The negative one, I told the stories about the insanity that I went through. And the positive one, the title of that chapter is 30 plus. And I interviewed 20 people married over 30 years 
And I asked them all sorts of questions. What's the secret sauce? How do you maintain, keep the trust? How do you define intimacy? Because intimacy goes away in all these different things that they said. And the number one, the thing that everyone said, you got to be with your best friend. And I'm with yeah. my best friend. Yeah. So, you know, everything's a learning experience. So. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's just like I said, because I, I read in all of the bio and, um, and then obviously as you and I are talking and, and, and I'm listening and I'm, I'm watching and I can see this sort of positivity and I was just thinking, bloody hell, how, how are you not pissed off with life yet? <laughs> I don't have the, 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 I don't have the right to be pissed off. My obligations to make a difference. And I, 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 I'm involved in a bunch of different charities after this, after our, you know, interview, I got to leave to go give out turkeys with the police. I'm part of a foundation called the CPR Foundation, Community Police Relations, and we're trying to repair the hatred between community and law enforcement caused by a lot of the very extreme movements out there. And we do the most incredible things, one of which is we give away 3,000 turkeys. But we don't give them away. We give them the police to go to people's homes and knock on the door or have a, some sort of event where people pick them up. I mean, I can regale you with so many things we do. But I'm literally, that's my, that's my afternoon. What I'm doing, I'm giving away turkeys with law enforcement um, today. So making a difference is really important. I wrote this book to make a difference. I wrote this book not for what I'm going to make by selling book. I wrote this book to but people come to me and say, you're not going to believe it. Thank you so much. I've had so many stories, one of which I'll tell you quickly. I played tennis with this tennis pro, 26-year-old kid, good-looking guy. And after the third time I played with him, I said, Julian, next time I come, I'm going to bring you a copy of my most recent book. I, I give him the book. And like five, six days later, he texts me, you changed my life. I look, I look at this text, I go, whoa, it's pretty strong. I didn't respond to the text because I was playing with him the next day. And I, I was going to talk to him. I walk up to him and I said, Julian, what, what did you mean? He says, I want to show you something. Takes his phone and he shows me this picture of this gorgeous, beautiful girl that is his girlfriend that happens to be Russian. Now down here in Florida, the Russian girls, they're, 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 it's kind of a red light. You got to be very careful. It's kind of a flare over the bow. Um, and uh, she's pressuring me to get married. doesn't stop. Mother's pressuring me. We've been together for a year and change. I'm going to go to chiropractor. I just don't know what to do. I'm vacillating. One day I'm going to do it. One day I'm not going to do it. And this is what I've been living with for quite a while. And he says, I read your book, and I broke up with her. And he said to me, what I realized, I really didn't like her. There was the, the, her character, the person she was. I mean, I got along with her fine. But the things, the way she, I started to realize there were so many things I didn't like that I couldn't marry her. And I brought it. He looks at me, he says, I want to thank you very much. It is powerful. It is because you know, when you write something that becomes a life changing decision for somebody else, and especially for the better, that is good. Can we just go through the 10 commandments of trust? I can read them out. <laughs> well, I don't know if we need to go through all of them, but you know, the, the, some of them we kind of hitting on and just in our conversation here. And the first one I kind of, talk about is is your gut feeling yeah um in the, the the relative to relationships and caring about people uh or not caring about people or being told things that are not real um your gut usually is pretty spot on you know you, you define your gut's mistake i defied my gut so many times with my crooked ex-partner and i kicked the can i was remiss negligent um and it hurt me terribly so when you feel something, listen to it. That's you know a commandment 
that is really important. You know, I go into a lot of other things in, in there, and one of which is being very conscious about social media, what, what you post. Matrimonial attorneys, when they take on a new client, the first thing they do is go on social media, see what they can find about the other side. And there, I know stories, my attorney told, told me that he had one case that discovered something such, so heinous on the other side that it was a major factor in the decision of the divorce. So what you do on social media uh, is very, very risky. And, and so what you post or put out there, look what's going on. You know, someone says something and then all of a sudden, you know, boom, you know, Elon Musk said something about that was anti-Semitic and all these companies are now pulling their ads from, uh, you know, X or whatever he calls it. Yeah. So what you do and say is, and, and so there are all these basic things that are really important for us to focus on. One of the points I, I really, I looked at and I realized, you know, which you do, you realize with experience is possibly one of the most important things you can, disciplines you can have in your life. And that's number two, face the music. Yeah, you know, that's extremely important because in my case, going back to the horrible story of my crooked partner, this didn't happen in one week. You know, this was years. And there was things for over and over that were like wrong. He got arrested, um, I'm not seven years ago, six years ago, because he created a fake email account and he went after a basketball coach and his kid wasn't getting playing time. He sent a threatening email with a fake name to the, to the basketball coach and the wife. I don't know what the email said, but it was bad enough that the coach went to the local police in Creskill, New Jersey, and they traced it to this guy David Kushner's house, and he got arrested, and his wife got arrested, and it was the front page of the local newspaper. Then all of a sudden, it was, it was a talk thing on, on TV, you know, about this, you know, real estate executive doing this type of thing. Now, naturally, when I approached him on it, he denied that he did it, and me, you know, being a schmuck, candidly, I believed him. I have four other stories where he had fake names and he did things like this before. And all these things, you know, happening, and I just didn't face the music. I didn't dig in right away. I didn't, like, take control of things from him. And it, it cost me terribly. It's, yeah, it's, it is, isn't it? Because one, one of the hardest things that I, I learned that it is essential that you have to do is you have to have the uncomfortable conversations with people. You, you know, if there's something, like you say, that gut feeling, if there's that gut feeling that something is wrong, or to, to put it another way, I've never regretted it when I've done it. I've regretted every time I didn't. Well said. Well said. Thank you. That, that's why we learn. That's why you have that stuff on it that's above your ear things called gray hair. And as we go down the road, you know, you know, all these things that we've experienced or felt or learned from, hopefully we become smarter about it and, and not allow ourselves to make the same mistakes again. So if you were, um, I'm looking at the 9-11 warning signals, the Trust 9-11, and I, I, I just, I, I love the way that it is laid out. Um, and and I just wonder if you could just go through some of that, the, 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 the things that you look for when you're trying to assess a situation, a, a business decision, a new person that you're meeting. I'll share that anecdotally. Uh, and we'll talk about a business decision first. So I'm a real estate guy. I buy properties uh, and look to 
increase their value over time. I have a lot of investors who participate in my transactions. In my new company, which is now three years old, I've done 15 acquisitions in three years. We're moving along really nicely. And um, um, we were in contract on a property in northern Florida where it fit, fit the profile of what we're buying. I'm buying mostly medical-based properties um, and uh, some industrial. And uh, this property had medical and it also had government tenants. I didn't like the government tenants so much because they had cancellation clauses, but I was they were there forever, so I thought the risk of them canceling was pretty small. I go look at the property with my partner, and I have two partners. My son, Benjamin, is 26, and I've got another partner, 31, Adam. Really bright young guy. So Adam and I drove all the way up north. It was the last thing we had to do. We had the financing lined up, had all the money raised, spent maybe about $70,000 in costs to get there. We just had to do a site inspection and set the closing up. Go to the property, and first my, my coffee tenant, it was a coffee company I was a tenant, turned out to be a mobile truck. I didn't know that. I paid rent, but it was a mobile truck. That bothered me. And I talked to him, and the, and the, and the other thing that is 10 o'clock in the morning, parking lot was not that busy. We have a tenant called DeVita. I own a bunch of DeVitas. DeVita is a New York Stock Exchange company. They're in the kidney dialysis business. They're a great medical tenant. I go, go it's Monday morning, 10 o'clock. They're not open. I go next door. Oh, they're only open three days a week. The, long, the short of it all is I went through the property like three, four times. I spotted a bunch of different things that bugged me. And um, I turned to my partner, Alan, uh, my partner, Adam, and I said, we're, we're blowing off the deal. We're not going to close. He looks at me, why? You know, we've got the leases. I mean, we, we're ready to close. I said, I just, I'm just feeling I have a bad gut. Monday morning, 10 o'clock, parking lot's pretty empty. Government tenants have cancellation clauses. Our medical tenant, even though they have a lease, I know. So we lose one of the big boxes here. We're in trouble. I just don't like it. I'm killing the deal. Now, the interesting part about this story, prior to me writing the book, prior to all the things I shared in the book, I would have rationalized that away and I would have closed the deal. I would close the deal, made money. I, had, I wouldn't have lost $70,000 that I put up, which I did lose. I would have closed the deal because I would have rationalized it away and said, you know, I, I'm making money. I got to do the deal. And I did. I, I stayed with my gut and I, I killed the deal. So when, when you make that, the 70,000 loss is a big deal personally, but you've also then got to go back to the investors, haven't you? Because you've raised the money. Right. Actually, the funny part about that is they all so appreciated the fact I did what I did. Not only did they appreciate it, they were like ready to double down on the next thing I did because it showed integrity. It showed that they knew I could close the deal, make my fee, have the ownership interest, and it would have been. But I, what I did was to protect them and do the right thing. And it it, it was astounding the react. I wasn't. I was. I didn't expect that the type of reaction that we got. But it was like they were they were so pleased, you know, that I did what I did. And yeah, I mean, I, I can I can see it. It's just I'm trying to. Like th there's an analogy that I use sometimes when when I'm coaching people that when when they talk about their problems is that problems tend to start off based apart and then because the way life can get on top of us it becomes a bottleneck and I was listening to you it's like you, you're picking up like you know that guy's mobile it's Monday that the, the place is empty and all, all of these things are quite spaced out and they start to bottleneck into one thing and there's got to be a, or there would normally be a point with people where it becomes fight or flight response. 
And like you were saying, you know, pre-writing the book, you'd rationalize that. And but there's a point where you're like, no, with this, right. this, yeah, it is stuck. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's yeah, the the, the ability. Because most mistakes are made under pressure. Do, do you know what I mean? Because because at that point when you know, like Adam said, "Hey, what, what do you mean? We we've got this, we've got that." That that's when most mistakes are made. To be able to make the right decision. I, we're kind of breaking up, obviously. I couldn't really hear your question, honestly. Sorry, I, I was just Can you repeat, hear me okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, I was just repeating back that 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 often when things start to bottleneck, like you, like you saw a collection of things happening that were just like this. These don't tick the right boxes, but there's big investment. There's your own Correct. money. Right, and there's your own money. Yep, and it's at that point that people will normally panic and make. It's always under pressure that we make the wrong mistake, the wrong decision, and you know. And for you to be able to pull all of that in and say no, you know, because th there's that pressure aspect and the expectation from others. These are all the variables, you know, and, and uh, um, I, you know, as I said to you before, and, and, and every day that goes by, I learn more. I'm hungry to learn, and I, I, I read tremendous amount. I, I'm into so many things to try to nourish my mind, and I'm most, and also I, as a collecting smart people, I speak to people all the time. And you know, today, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a pretty good place. You know, I have the gray hair also, and. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and I've got these young engines behind me, that being my son is uh, my other fellow. And uh, just out there pounding away and, you know, as I said, trying to make a difference. Yeah, that's true. One of the things I, I wanted you to touch on, if you could, is you have the signs of untrustworthy people. And what, one of the things, there's two things in there. Well, actually, there's all of them that I can relate to and sort of resonated with me on one level. And... Uh, and and you know and that's always important to me because when something you get that personal resonation uh something that resonates with you personally you just like that's the hook isn't it and it's there but the one that fascinated me is the first one it's they always believe their own lies um the, that's the definition of a sociopath you know that's someone that my ex-partner is a sociopath and now graduated to a psychopath because a lot of people think he killed his wife. But um, you can always tell those type of people, they have a, they have a commonality. You, you look in their eyes and you, and you see glass. There's like, there's no conviction to them. They could, they could just lie to your face. They could do something that's really bad. It doesn't impact them at all. They don't have any sense of guilt and they'll, they'll just continue to lie and just keep going forward that's called danger that's a red light flashing and unfortunately that's not so uncommon there are people like that out there um you got you just got to be very very careful you know and, and when 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 it doesn't sound right it, it probably isn't right yeah 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 very true very true um just, just before we we finish up um could you just let everybody know where the best places to find you are because you've got a few you know you're a busy man and you do a lot of things so could, could you just recap on some of the places that people can find you 
You mean the, the, are you talking about the book itself or me personally? Well, you personally, and then we'll do the book and the other books as well. Look, I'm, 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 I'm out there. My name is Jeffrey Michelle. Um, you know, you, you can Google me, you, my, uh, email me. You know, my stuff's not, my company's Jeff at Kander Capital Partners.com. Um, you can email me. Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there. So anyone that has a question or I could be helpful to the title of my first book, I'm one phone call away. Um, so I, I, I welcome, you know, your, re your listeners uh, to do that. I would also ask them if they read Trust is a Double Edge. So trust me, if they'd be kind enough to go on Amazon and give me a review, I'd appreciate that. Uh, I've gotten really great reviews from people and I want to keep building it up because uh, it only makes me stronger when more people open their mouths and, and address the things I said. And even yourself, if you could go on Amazon, put a review, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, Could you just recap the, the divorce one as well? Because I've, I've coached guys, men and women, but, you know, going through divorce and it's it's rough. It, it is really rough on them. And if there's, you know, and I'm keen to promote any groups or organizations out there that people can lean into. Well, I'm not doing that anymore. But, you know, at the time it, it, it was called, it started as a divorcing dad council. And, you know, as I said, I was doing these live events and mm. then it turned on to an online community called Divorce Force. Unfortunately, I had the wrong CEO and I was supposed to raise money. And a lot of money went into it. But the last group of dollars didn't come in. And ultimately, we had to, you know, not keep going with the company. But, you know, the, the, the idea that for people getting divorced uh, have commonality with other people getting divorced. And so putting them together, you knowing people like what I did, I reached out to friends. Do you know anyone? Yeah. To sit down with other people like you and to share what you're experiencing, what are the issues. Um, it, 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 in every case, uh, it gets embraced. And I actually, they, I, all of a sudden, I'm an expert about divorce. I mean, I still get calls from people, you know, seeking advice. What do I think? And I have very strong views about things that people should do and shouldn't do. And I'm, you know, I'm there to help you. Literally, three days ago, two, three days ago, I said, would you talk to my friend? He's going through this. I, you know, I told him you're an expert. You're not an expert. You know, I, I did what I did, you know, and I do yeah. know a lot. But uh, but putting people together that have commonality is a very important thing. And my last one is a completely different question, and it's off the cuff, very random. And I just I just like asking people the, the, this question. So using your imagination, if you could go any place in time, where would you go? What vehicle would you drive? And what music would you listen to? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I've, I've, I've been asked this question in a different context. I don't know. I don't know about the. I'll, I'll, I'll answer in two different ways. I was, I'm a big Titanic fan. Fan. I, I know everything about the Titanic. I've been studying it since I'm a little a kid. And there was a there was a TV show a long time ago called The Time Tunnel, and this, yep. this is two guys. I don't know if you ever saw it, but they'd go back in time and be somewhere. I always had this fantasy of going back and being on the deck of the being on the Titanic like three days before it hit the iceberg, and and the idea is to get Captain Smith to consider to change course to save ship. I don't know why it's kind of silly, but that was something like I you know I, I would have loved him been able to go back in time and do that. Um, and I said, the other question, what, what music would I listen? I'm the big Elvis Presley fan. No, I, I love Elvis. I, I love Elvis, Elvis Presley. And the one thing I, I uh, unfortunately never experienced was seeing him in concert. Clearly, I, to know him, to have known him, and to listen to his music, I, to me, he was such an incredible musician. I still listen to his music all the time. And um, 
I'm kind of into cars a little bit, but you know, so I guess uh, driving a, a Duesenberg would be kind of cool, cool experience. But uh, you know, that just to try it out, but you know, the monster cars. So I, that, yeah. that off the tough off the cuff would be my response to your question. That's beautiful. Thank you, and and thank you very much for your time. It's really appreciated. I, I greatly appreciate it. And again, the book is Trust is a Double Edged Sword. Trust me, you can get it on Amazon. I had to use a pen name. As an author, it's under my name. It's under Way Will, and that's because the publisher wouldn't let me use my name. They were scared because I go into such heavy detail about the illicit, crooked things my ex-partner did. They were afraid they were going to get sued. I'll make sure that there is a Amazon link in the description. So. Thank you so much. And if you could, again, I appreciate any you know uh, uh, reviews that people put up. That helps me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed another episode of the David Watson podcast. I always appreciate your feedback. I thank you very much for listening. If you can, please like, subscribe, tell other people, share the podcast. But also, if you've listened to this, please check out the books that Jeffrey has written. As I said at the beginning, he is the author of One Phone Call Away, Secrets of a Master Networker, The Opportunity Magnet, and his latest book, Trust is a Double-Edged Sword, trust me. Check him out. And thank you again for listening.